Benvenidos and welcome to the Platform Latino podcast where we profile, highlight, and bring to the airwaves the successes of our community and those helping us to get us there. I'm your host, Osvaldo Valdez, and I'd like to thank you for joining us and enjoy the show. Hi guys, today's guest is Angelise Cordero, or aka Coach Cordero. She's an amazing woman who has navigated her way through corporate America, perfecting her skills in human resources. She is recently, or maybe currently, on the Jumbotron in Times Square for the Hispanic Star um, promotion for Latinx or Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, about two years ago, she started Propel and Purpose Coaching, which we will dive into on the podcast. Welcome, Angelise. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. Hi, Ozzy. Hello, Platform Latino listeners. Super thrilled to be here with you all. No, no, we're, I think we're the ones that are really thrilled to have you on. Um, I met Angelise about maybe a little bit over a month ago. Um, former podcast guest Lucy Pinto um, introduced us and she's like, you guys have to meet, you guys will click and she'll be a great guest on your podcast. So um, it's, it's the amazing works of a network and um, I'm glad we, we can have you on and, and we became friends. Yes, we got to thank Lucy for that. Shout out to my prima. Lucy and I met two years ago also at a conference where we both were selected to be a part of a leadership development program for young Hispanic corporate achievers. And we joked that we became primos that long weekend. And it really has been the case because we've stayed connected ever since, especially since um, she now lives in New York City. Well, she lives in New Jersey and works in New York City. And another of the primas is also in the tri-state area. So it's been great to just stay connected. But we also stay connected with other primos across the country. So it's really awesome. And talk about the power of the Latino network. It's been a wonderful ride to be a part of that particular network. And look how it continues to extend. I meet great people like Ozzy. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Angelise, like on the podcast, I usually like to start off with a little bit of your backstory. Um, where were you born, your culture, your upbringing, and like what brought you to where you are now? Well, Ozzy, as you know, I'm a fellow Cubanita. I was born in Havana, Cuba. And my mother and I came to the States when I was four years old as part of a political refugee program that the United States had at the time sponsoring families that were that had been involved with, you know, uh, trying to overthrow the Castro regime. My mother married a political refugee and that's how we had the opportunity to come here. I spent about six months in Hialeah and then I came over to New Jersey. So we joke that I'm a Jersey Cuban, which is very different than a Miami Cuban. And we won't get into that, but it is true. <laughs> so I grew up in Union City, New Jersey, which at the time was like the second little Havana. It was predominantly Cuban. So I grew up in a community that was predominantly Latino, Hispanic, let's use those interchangeably. And you know, everyone spoke the same language, ate very similar foods. I didn't think anything of it. I was a big nerd growing up and, you know, I knew education was really important. And that's something that my mom really instilled in me, especially as a single mom with no family here and, you know, trying to figure it out. She made that sacrifice for me to have better opportunities that she didn't have. And then I went to college because that was what I was supposed to do as a student. 
And there was a big focus on that in my high school, uh, which I'm very grateful for, even though I, would, I grew up in a low-income immigrant uh, Abbott district community, education was really enforced, and we had a lot of really great programs to get us you know, on that road to college. And college was a big eye-opener for me. It was the first time that I knew I was a minority. I hate that word, by the way. <laughs> I understand the purpose of it, but it, I don't think it's, it's a great, uh, I think language is really important and to call people a minority, it already um, enters, we enter into this power dynamic that makes us othered and lesser than. So I don't love the word, but it was the first time in my life where I realized that Hispanics weren't the majority because from my perspective and the world that I lived in, we were. Everyone looked like me. It was also a very wealthy institution. And so I, like I said, I grew up in a predominantly low-income community. And now I was going to college with kids that had BMWs as freshmen and we didn't even own a car. And it was a really interesting time of my life where I was able to understand all of these dynamics and all of these social political things that happen in our society. And I think that have, has really impacted the way in which I see the world. So I grew up and uh, I went to school and I studied behavioral sciences and that was by circumstance. I really went to school to study international politics thinking I wanted to do an internship at the UN and that's why I picked the, the college that I picked because they had a great internship opportunity with the UN. And I quickly realized that wasn't the route for me and I picked behavioral sciences because I find human behavior interesting and you know learning about why we do the things that we do was always something that interested me. And I had no idea what that meant in terms of a career. So up until this point, I had been a student and that's all I knew. You go to school, you get an education. What you use that education to do was still a big mystery. And, you know, in our communities, there's very traditional career paths. You go and you become a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or an entrepreneur. There's there weren't that many other options and the people that I grew up with and the people in my family, they didn't work in corporate America. So I had no idea what I wanted to do in terms of a career. I just knew that I wanted to help people and do something that made an impact in people's lives. Long story short, I graduated uh, without a job in hand. And, you know, a few months after the summer, I landed an opportunity working at a nonprofit organization in Newark where I managed a Hispanic Women's Resource Center, which I thought was the best job out of college. I was helping women like my mom who were immigrant, who, you know, had the language barrier, the technology barrier, the learning how to navigate these spaces that were new to them. And a lot of them were professional women. They had degrees from their countries and they migrated here, their husbands worked, and so they were either stay-at-home moms or cleaning ladies and really were looking to transfer those skills into this society. So very rewarding. I loved it. And, you know, I graduated uh, and, and entered the workplace making $40,000, which was more money than anyone in my family had made at the time. So I thought it was like, ooh, I made it, right? <laughs> and then I quickly realized uh, once you become an adult and you have to pay bills and those student loans kick in, that the nonprofit sector wasn't going to cut it for me, that I'm a really ambitious person and I saw that there wasn't enough growth and development as an employee. And then, you know, I was at this crossroads having to figure out what was next, but I had no idea what I wanted to do next. I thought I had all these different interests. And I think I lacked role models that were doing 
things that were outside of those traditional career paths. So I was really lost in my, I would say the, the early parts of my 20s. And then four years in, the program that I ran was eliminated and I had a bit of an advance notice. And there's nothing like knowing you're not going to have a job in a few months to, you know, fire up some fuel <laughs> behind you to figure it out. So I had a, a few months to figure it out and I decided I was going to go back to school, to graduate school and use a master's degree to pivot into corporate America. And it wasn't an easy decision. I had to speak with different role models of mine or different mentors. So peers that I had gone to school with that were a little bit ahead of me in terms of age and their career and, and really take stock of my skills and what I really enjoyed. So what were the aspects of my role that I really loved and how can I use that to pivot to another career. And I realized that even though I wasn't in an HR role, there were a lot of HR related things that I was doing and those were the things that I enjoyed the most. So I went and I pursued my master's in human resources management and I did that full time for a year. Once I graduated, I you know put my resume out there and got called back by a financial services company to work for them in a temp to perm position. Uh, after investing in the master's degree, I thought I would be making so much more money and I got an offer for pretty much what I was making, maybe like $10,000 more than I was making uh, working uh, for the nonprofit. But what was really critical about that time is that it was my first job in corporate America. And so I had been unemployed for a year you know, collecting unemployment and going to school full time. And so I thought, well, I'll just figure it out. I don't know the first thing about financial services. I don't know anything about corporate America, but I know that once I'm in there, I'll figure it out. I'm sure enough, I did. So I worked there for four years. It was my first corporate HR role. I made a lot of mistakes. I learned about the corporate beast and, you know, things just started to click. And eventually I realized I wasn't gonna grow in that organization anymore. So it was time to find another opportunity. And I now work full time at a different financial services company, which I absolutely love because my values are very much aligned with the company's value. They are a purpose-driven company and they're authentic in the ways in which they drive value for their customers and the way in which they value their employees. I've had a great career for the last five years. I just made five years, two years, uh, two weeks ago. Congrats. Um, thank you. Thank you. Five years, three roles, two promotions. My first promotion was a two level promotion. And I say all those things not to brag, but rather to show that once you figure out how to navigate an environment and the politics and aligning with mentors and sponsors and different things like that, your career starts to bloom. So once I realized, oh, I, I have the hang of this, like I, I now understand what it takes to navigate your career. And the whole time that I was lost and unsure of what I wanted to do and feeling very stuck and unhappy, I thought it would be great if I had like someone who was helping me navigate this. And then I thought, well, I should be a coach, like a life coach. That's when life coaching was like kind of a thing. This was like, you know, 10 years ago. But I thought I can't possibly be anyone's life coach. I haven't figured it out yet. I have to figure it out first so that then I can help other people figure it out. So like you said, about two years ago, I landed the role that I'm in now in my full-time job and I absolutely love it. Like for me, this is the dream job for right now. 
I love the work that I do. I love the clients that I serve and the associates whose career I have an impact on. But of course, the overachiever in me couldn't just have a, a full-time job that she loved. I thought, well, now's the perfect time. I finally arrived. Like I made it to the dream job. Now I can help other people realize their dream job and help them, you know, anyone who is stuck and unhappy, help them propel out of that place and find careers that are truly aligned with their purpose in life. And that's how Propel on Purpose was born. It was an, an idea that I had over 10 years ago. And then I finally took the leap and I went through the process. I officially launched it um, a year and a few months ago. So my baby just turned one. Yay. Um, and that's what I do through Propel on Purpose coaching is one-to-one -one career coaching, group coaching, all for first-generation professionals who are the underrepresented faces of corporate America, and that they're at this mid-level point in their career where they're starting, they finally have the time to think and to reflect on whether they're really fulfilled and this is the right career path. And I'll pause there because I know that was very long-winded, but... Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I have, a, I have a few questions. So like you, we, we've all been there, we've all made mistakes, and we've all, hopefully most of us have learned from them. But what's the one mistake that you've, of course, learned from, but still makes you cringe and be like, oh, how could I have made that mistake? <laughs> this is kind of an embarrassing story, but my last review at my former organization, it was, a promo it was supposed to be a promotional year for me. So I had spoken to my manager at the time that I had transitioned to, and I... I knew the role wasn't for me. So quickly realized that um, I had, you know, transitioned to that role thinking it was going to serve me as a stepping stone to something else. Mm -hmm. And then quickly realized I hate this, but I can't just move because what I started to understand was you need your managers, you know, to advocate for you. Mm -hmm. And you obviously need to do a really great job at what you're doing and show up really well so that they will advocate for you and will say, well, you know, this might not be the best fit for her, but she's a great performer regardless, or this isn't what she wants to do, but she's a really great performer. So let's help her. We want to keep talent and continue to grow and develop them. So let's help her navigate to another space. So the first mistake is trusting that this manager really had my interest at heart. She didn't. She was probably the worst manager I've had because when it came down to my, so I, I confided in her that I wasn't happy in the role, but I wanted to go into another opportunity. And I, by then I had been almost four years at the organization and I was like, you know, it's time for, for a promotion. Like, what's it going to take? Mm -hmm. So I landed an opportunity on another team, not through any help from her. It was through my own networking internally and others who pointed me in that direction. Um, and she sort of took it personally because I guess, I didn't give her the heads up and I didn't give her the heads up because I was told not to when I talked to the the new manager and I said, should I talk to my current manager and tell her that I'm having these conversations? And they said, no, you know, we'll take care of it at, at our level. And that was, that's a big lesson for anyone listening. You always want your manager to know where you are so that they can help you because everyone's different and you'd never want them to hear from somebody else that you are, you know, entertaining other ideas because they might feel some type of way. They shouldn't take it personally. Everybody should come to the table with the understanding like, 
people have to do what they have to do for their careers and their families, but not everybody's like that, right? And so I, I was offered the other role. She made, my, my former manager made me sit within the role that I hated for two months while we found somebody new, which made no sense because that role was going to get outsourced. And she was being really picky about who she was finding. So it was a nightmare. It was like, I already have another opportunity and here I am having to do this job that I hate because this person won't just hire anybody. Mm. Um, and then when it came down to the review time, they both did my review, but of course I only sat in the new role one month. And so my new manager had to deliver the news that I wasn't gonna get promoted, that I wasn't getting a raise. And, be, and it was because I had transitioned from one team to the other, like it didn't make sense the way that organization was structured. And I was so upset, like I was angry. <laughs> I was angry because I knew the politics that were happening and how it essentially screwed me. And I couldn't believe that I had trusted this manager and you know, she ended up promoting somebody else who was left behind, who had been there less time than me. And of course, was a, a white woman like her. Uh, and I, I was so angry that I started to, to question things, but not in the most, you know, politically savvy way. Gotcha. Um, to gotcha. the point where I, then the Latina came out of me, like, right? Like, you know, when you, when you, you know how, you know how it is. You don't want to get a Kuwana mad. I was like, I, well, you will not, you know, and then she just made it worse because she said something like, no matter what I say, I know it's not going to make you feel better. And it was like, don't patronize me. Like, come on. And I was like, you know what? I need to excuse myself because I was either going to curse somebody out or I was going to cry and I wasn't going to give either of them the satisfaction of that, right? So that was a big mistake because now I know what it's like to be on the other end of that. I know what it's like to, I know what happens in those calibration meetings. I know the politics and I know that managers and, and my new manager was amazing. And she, to this day, I still thank her. She was a big catalyst for my transition to where I am now. We're still friends to this day. It wasn't her fault. She just had to deliver bad news. My former manager, whatever, you know, uh, I wish her the best. I hope she's doing well, but she was not a great manager to me. And uh, she should have treated that whole situation very differently. But my new manager, I wasn't making a great impression on her with that reaction. And in any you know, in any of those emotionally charged moments, you never want to be the hothead who storms out or who gets emotional. So I've learned how to show up in a certain way so that it is, you know, you, you, you should be your authentic self, but you also need to be mindful that this is still work and you have to have a certain decorum and, you know, show up with a, a level of um, polish and professionalism, despite how much your your blood might be boiling. <laughs> so it was a big mistake, big learning. I know now what happens on the other side of it and what the expectation is, how you expect people to respond and the level of maturity that it shows when somebody's taking bad news and essentially like taking it like a champ and, and you know, using it as a way to keep growing. Gotcha. Yeah, you should always take like every experience and like kind of write out what's what you've learned from it how you can react better or you know or things you missed out on that you should have done but like it, it reminded me one time I, my my prior boss before I moved to New York we had a really good um open communication she was Latina as well but um 
there was one meeting where she was like, she had asked me to do a report or like finish a report for her. And then I got into the meeting. I started re um, like reporting it. And she was like, excuse me, is this my meeting or your meeting? And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to sit down, you know, because I don't want to get fired. But it was like, we had a good conversation after and it was just like a miscommunication. And it, it reminded me of that. It was like, she, she was like, maybe I shouldn't have reacted that way. But, <laughs> but yeah, like I, I stepped on some toes at, at times, but that kind of made me think. And it was another question I wrote like down that you had mentioned you're very ambitious. So mm -hmm. I've been in situations where either I'm in a lower role and my ambition threatens somebody that's higher than me. Like it, it, it's, it's mostly like personal feelings. It's not like, you know, cause it's very political in the corporate world. But like, mm -hmm. how do you manage that? Or what advice do you give to people that feel that they're ambitious, they want the most, they want, they're growing, they're smart, they're agile, but you know, they, they do want to be respectful to the higher ups and not, you know, not step on toes and not, you know, ruffle any feathers that are going to be <laughs> permanently, permanently ruffled. But like, what do you, like, what's your like advice for that? It depends on what's holding you back. So I think being ambitious in corporate America is a great thing. They want people who are ambitious and go-getter and problem solvers and innovative, but you have to take stock of the organization that you work in, the politics and the culture of the organization that you're in, your team and its leaders, your direct manager, and the team that you're in and then the role that you're in. So through my career coaching business, what I have found, and just conversations with my, my tribe, what I find is that when people feel stuck and unhappy or they are challenged in this way where they feel like they're not growing, it's typically because of one of those three things. You're either stuck or unhappy because the organization that you're in isn't growing and developing talent the right way. Or perhaps you are at a greater organization, but the team that you're on and the leadership of your team, they either have a certain reputation or there are just not enough opportunities to grow within that team. And maybe your leader isn't a great leader. So it's not the company, it's the team or it's the leader. And in that case, then you need to find another department within the organization. So the, the fix to the first one is if you're not at the great company, then it's time to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. If you're not on a great team or with a great leader, then it's time to find another internal department. And sometimes it's the role. Maybe the role isn't aligned with your skill set. So you could be in a role that you've been doing for a long time, but you no longer find interest in it. It doesn't give you meaning or joy. And so you might be doing well, but that's not what you want to keep doing. And you're not going to grow if you don't feel challenged, if you don't feel like there's a reward to the work that you're doing. And so it's time to find a different role. And that role could be in your same team, depending on the, the structure of your team, or it could be in an adjacent team or a completely different area. So it's really figuring out, well, what is it really? Is it my role? Is it my manager? Or is it my company? And as someone who manages a leadership development program, there's 45 associates uh, across three cohorts in, in my program. And so that means I have communication with 45 different managers. I manage calibration sessions. So I know the conversations that happen and what managers expect, which is why I 
always advice that you need to have a really great relationship with your manager. So if you're ever in that dynamic where you're, you're threatening the person who's leading you, they don't you know, give you credit for your ideas or the work that you do, or there's some kind of tension, those are really difficult to change. Like that's the, the reality of it. Because um, think about it, right? If, if I'm going into a room where I'm there to you know, advocate for you and to help you get promoted, but I don't actually like you or like we beef. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what human nature, right? Like the reality is like, I don't feel, there are not, unfortunately, some people can separate, you know, those emotions from their professionalism and they can still advocate because it's the right thing to do or it's the fair thing to do. But I will say that that's probably the outlier. I think most people we're humans, you know, we're emotional beings, they can't make that separation. And so they're not as susceptible to advocate for you if there is in a great relationship. So if you are in that middle bucket, if anybody's in that middle bucket where you don't have a great relationship with your manager, I think you need to move to another team or another yeah. role or company because they're gonna, that like your career is kind of dependent on they're the ones that know your body of work the most and that can say ozzy deserves a raise this year or ozzy should be promoted because here are all of the examples of why and if you don't have that it's going to be difficult for you to you know move up to the next level definitely yeah and, and communication is key like i've had good managers and i've had horrible managers that you know they will never advocate mm -hmm. for you even if there's like a gun to their head but they're you know and we're great people too it's just some people just you know they have stuff going on in their lives or you just don't click so it, it is important to to find where you are and where you need to be and see if you can actually grow in that company so that's um that's very important yeah and the unfortunate thing is yeah the, the unfortunate thing is that many in corporate america many people get promoted to a manager level because they're really good at the job. They're great individual contributors, but that doesn't mean that they're good people managers. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, and you know, I studied this in, in my master's program and, and I've seen it in corporate America where there are a lot of managers of people that shouldn't be managers of people. They don't get properly trained. They don't have an interest in managing people. It, it's tough to manage people. And so some of it is personality and some of it is like not even a fault of their own they just haven't been developed in the right way to manage people you know properly no no definitely I, I, so you have to know that you have yeah and no, i experienced this mm -hmm. in my new role like um i've been like you were mentioning an individual contributor and then this one i'm not like directly manage somebody um people but they're they're, they're like under my team or whatever and um separating becoming a manager or like a manager role compared to like just like I, I submit reports it's 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 night and day so it, it was definitely a learning opportunity I feel I'm good with people and I, I I command the respect and you know they respect me and I respect them but it, it is it is a, a learning process that's for sure so um I just like so you the the name of your company is Propel on Purpose Coaching and you talk about this a lot and i think this is a good opportunity like what's your purpose and like how do you communicate it Ooh, great question let's see how i can synthesize it i believe my purpose in life is to create an inclusive and equitable society 
when I think about my identities, so you look at me and you think woman, Latina, the invisible identities that you don't see that uh, you wouldn't know unless I share the stories with you is that I grew up in a low income community. And when I think about those three identities, that's the one that's probably brought me the most challenges. And because that's because things like gender and race and ethnicity, those tend to be attributes that we're proud of. So I'm a diehard feminist. I'm over here wearing my notorious RBG shirt, right? Um, women are proud to be women and to be feminist. I am Latina, Cubana, definitely proud of my heritage. No one is proud to be poor or to have grown up with like less resources than other people. It's something that is taboo that we don't talk about. But the lack of certain resources and access, I think, has been the thing that has taken me longer to overcome. So I studied inequality in college and reading those things in the textbook made me realize, well, a lot of this was like the things that I was experiencing. So I, I learned uh, the, the systemic reasons, the historical reasons why we have so much inequity in our world, but especially here in America. Now, when I think about career and I think about communities and families, so I think our careers are at the center of our lives. We live in a capitalist society. And so the thing that you do for work for money provides for the rest of your life. It provides for shelter, for food, uh, for transportation, clothes, and then the things that you do outside of meeting the, the minimum. So how you invest in your community, how you invest in your retirement, how you, you know, have fun and go on vacations and all of these different things. And when you come from a disadvantaged community or from less resources, I want to say, because we got to be careful how we frame these things. I, some of those words are, are not the best way to describe it, right? Like they, they again, create this power dynamic that these people are lesser than. Um, and that's, that comes from, you know, a certain ideology that, that, some people are less deserving because they're this or that. And I just don't believe in that. I think that we're all human and that we all should have the same access to resources and to thrive in our lives. But the reality is that that's not the case. We have a lot of inequality. And so that's why I'm so passionate about focusing on careers and career coaching, because if we can help people navigate their careers, then that has a ripple effect. So when I think about my own career. So five years ago, before I transitioned into this new company, you know, I was making a certain amount of money and that allowed me to do certain things with my life. You know, fast forward five years later, I doubled that income. You know, my standard of living is much better. The things that I can do because I have this buying power is much greater. The generational wealth that I get to create as a result of that is going to have this ripple impact. So, I, I say it, you know, in, in the, there's an undertone of that in everything that I say, you know, it can, it, I think sometimes it gets lost. I need to probably do a better job at uh, being clear on what my purpose is, but that's really what I'm trying to, to impact is creating a more equitable society and more inclusive society, which is why Propel on Purpose isn't women specific, it isn't Latino specific, it's first gen underrepresented. And 
when I say first gen, what I mean by that is people who are either the first in their family to be born here. So they're, they come from immigrant backgrounds and they're the first ones to be born here, or they're the first in their family to earn a degree here in America. Uh, they're the first in their family to be professionals. And I think all of those firsts are identities that are intertwined with you know, not having access to these resources. Like they're the first ones who are experiencing what it will take to have more resources, more, you know, um, earning potential and all these different things. Um, and the thing that I think we don't talk about enough is how class is tied to social capital. So people who are wealthier and have, they have access to more resources and but the biggest resources is the people in their network um so you know when people who come from generations of wealth they have mass as access to social capital because they're they have generations of connections that can help them navigate their career and that's why you know power stays in power right yeah. <laughs> um so i hope that makes sense so you know, I focus on careers because I think that has the biggest impact on creating equity because it gives people, if you can learn how to navigate your career and find a, a job that gives you meaning and joy and pays you well, then you're, you're raising the standard of living for your life and then can create an impact in your community, for your family and for future generations. No, no. Yeah. And I, I totally agree in the inclusivity and the equality as well as you know the I, I always I, I want to research more because I've always been interested in like the social capital aspect of of that of just the economy as well as life but you know you, if you grow up in the middle class you have those middle class friends and you know they, they there's that quote you're the average of the five people around you but like if you upgrade that mm -hmm. or if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room you know there's there's countless things mm -hmm. but like um yeah our sayings but, you know, it's, it's to elevate you as well as to help, you know, leave the door open for the next round of people in your, your own community. So it's important to, to look for those ways. And, you know, career coaching is one way to, to help, but also always remember, like, where you came from because, you know, you have to be mm -hmm. um, grateful for that. So, like, Absolutely. yeah, and I, so, yeah, just in the month I've known you, I don't know how you keep up with everything you do <laughs> your job the pop tribe volunteer board member um getting hit by cars almost on your scooter like <laughs> thank god you ha you didn't you're safe and you're, you're just like and you're like a kick-ass woman like doing everything like how how do you manage this like when do you sleep when do you have a social life like what like how do you manage or balance of this all out yeah it, it, I love this question because I think the perception is that people who do a lot of different things um, are either, the, sometimes the perception is that we're doing those things perfectly or that we've got it all figured out or that there's no such thing as challenges, you know, because we're seeing snippets of people's lives through social media. And of course, we're seeing the highlights. You're not seeing the unedited version behind the scenes, right? Um, so how, how do I do it? I mean, I'm very planful. I'm very, I'm very um, organized. I keep a lot of lists and I have learned to prioritize. Uh, there's a book by Tiffany Dufu, who I had the opportunity to meet and it's called Drop the Ball. And what I love that she says is that 
we're all juggling multiple balls in the air at the same time. And the key to being successful is knowing which balls are made out of glass. Mm. And so I am very conscious of which balls are made out of glass and I have to make sure that I can't drop those. So I have a full-time job. My allegiance is to still being a high performer in that nine to five because A, I really do love the work that I do. I respect the company that I work in. It's given me a lot of opportunities. So I, um, you know, don't do any of my five to nine work during my nine to five. Um, Or I will figure out ways, you know, if I have to log off early to do something or go to an appointment, then I put in the extra time. So I also work for a company that's really flexible. So I have the privilege to do that. So that's definitely a priority. I've made a decision that my business is going to be another glass ball. And so that means that I sacrifice other other things. So sometimes the trade-off is that I won't have much of a social life on the weekend. So my friends who are married with kids, I'm single, no kids. They think that I'm like living this like, superb life and don't get me wrong I love my life but you know they think the perception is oh she's you know partying it up or you know she's always at brunch or whatever and it's like you see snippets of that but that's not every weekend not anymore like I did that in my 20s I had a great time now I'm more selective about who I spend my time with and what time I'm spending because then it means less time for the business or less time for doing something else I prioritize time with people that I love and people that really inspire me. I can't spend too much time just working, I've realized, because then I lose like my edge. You know, I I need to be around other people who are really empowering and who, you know, the way that they lead their lives and the purpose that uh, inspires them really gives me joy and, and makes me feel like, oh, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. So I prioritize those things and then it's really a week to week thing. So some weeks I get more sleep, some weeks I don't get as much sleep. Some weeks I have more uh, time with the people that I love and my tribe. Some weeks I'm, you know, working all weekends on business or different projects. And then I also don't want to ask for help. And I I don't do, you know, the the thing that women get all the time is like, how do you do it all? And it's like, I don't, I don't do it all. I don't do my own laundry. (laughs) I don't cook every day. I um, outsource things that it's like, is what's the trade-off here? It's either time or money. So I'm either going to pay someone to do this so that I have more time back, or I'm going to save money by doing it myself. And those are decisions that really vary on a week-to-week basis. So I've just learned how to prioritize and be more planful. But do I get it perfect? No, there's weeks where I do feel a little bit more stressed. There's weeks where I'm like not as motivated to do things. And you just get to the point where you know yourself and you know your body too, when it's like, all right, I really just need to get some rest or, um, you know, I feel extra motivated. Let me batch content create for the next couple of hours. So there's no perfect answer. I think it varies person to person, but if you are trying to nap, to balance all of these different things, it's just really important to know that everything is a trade-off and understanding what are the trade-offs that you're gonna make and 
also just giving yourself grace. So again, I don't strive for perfection, not anymore. I think that's bullshit. (laughs) And quite frankly, perfection is boring. Like, you know, sometimes the messiness in our lives is fun and interesting. And those were were the best stories, like almost getting run over by a car (laughs) because I'm like, you know, thinking about something as I'm crossing the street and not paying attention. Uh, You know, those are things that you can tell. Those are the fun stories that you get to share with people. No, yeah, it's true. Like, you can't, nobody's perfect and everybody has their own formula, but I don't do my laundry either. I just feel like, okay, I can pay somebody to wash and fold it for the, and I feel that's more valuable than me sitting in a laundromat, like watching the thing go round and round and, and then folding them. Yeah. No, that, that's not using my time wisely, but um, yeah, I have, a, I have a question that like um some of my friends have encountered and I've encountered and I want you to think about it as like with two hats on. So you work mm-hmm. in corporate HR, but you're also an employee mm-hmm. of the bigger company. So those are the two hats, your HR manager mm-hmm. hat and then your employee hat. How do you, like for somebody that's, that has a side gig, like your HR manager hat, what does that person say to that person that has a side gig? Well, first off, does your company know you have the side thing, um, Propel on Purpose, and then with that, if they do know, like, or if you're whichever position you are in, like, do you tell them? How do you communicate it to them? Like, what would the HR manager say? And what you, would you as an employee say? So it depends on the company that you work for. You have to know their policies and, you know, what in HR we define as a conflict of interest. So I've read the HR manual. What I do isn't a conflict of interest because I work for a financial services company. So I'm not selling stock or insurance or, you know, I'm not in competition with the business that I, you know, the, the, the money generating business that the company does. Although I'm in HR and career coaching is HR like, it's still not a conflict of interest because I work with early talent and my business is focused on mid-level talent. Now, that said, I also know how to navigate corporate America. So no, I haven't publicly told like my manager or people on my team, like there are only select people at work that know about the side business. And, you know, even on LinkedIn, I don't talk about my business because I know that perception is reality. And although I am a strong performer, I never want them to have an opportunity to say, oh, this week she's slacking. She might be doing something for her side business. Not that that's ever the case, because again, I know my priorities and my first priority is to be a rock star employee because that is what's given me all of these opportunities. But I just don't like to risk it, right? Like I never want there to even be the slight chance that they're going to think that. I also, even though I'm a rule follower in these cases, you know, you learn political savviness. And so because I know that someone might have that perception, I didn't ask for permission. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, there's ever someone who finds out or something happens, then I'll ask for forgiveness yeah. because I also know that I'm not breaking any policy per se. I'm just careful of the perception. And so for anyone who is working full time and has a side gig, it depends on the company, it depends on the policies and the perception. I think that there are people who have businesses that are completely different and they can openly talk about it. And it's, you know, depending on the company culture, it's totally fine. 
uh, I know people in, in the company that I work for that, for example, they work in HR and they have like an event space, completely different. So they've talked about it. And the assumption is always that they're not going to do anything during the daytime that's for their business. And we're also not like, from an HR perspective, I don't work for a company that's like watching you and like clocking you and things like that. They trust that, you know, you, you're, you're an adult and you're mature and you know how to handle things with, you know, an ethical perspective. So it's, it, it isn't until someone is actually showing signs of doing something wrong that we go to investigate those things. But some other companies are very different and they will, you know, they will be checking times that you're clocking in and out and you want to maybe be more careful about having a side gig or being vocal about having the side gig. So sometimes you should ask for permission and sometimes you should ask for forgiveness and you really need to figure out where, where you are in, in your career and the place where you're working for. No, it's, it's important. And it is like a balancing act. Like, what do I say? What do I don't say? Like, mm-hmm. will this person be cool? Will that person like is a backstabber? You know, you, you, you gotta know your people mm-hmm. and who are you talking to and, yeah. and tell, tell your story. But, um, I I feel like you're more leaning on the HR manager, but you are an employee, so it it it, it like balances out. But um, read your policies, read read what's the because <laughs> I remember I, I had an internship at General Electric, and there and it was like a, it was like a job, but like an internship, and like the forms were like an inch thick of like things I had to sign, like any intellectual property, any ideas. And so like G doesn't play like, <laughs> and, um, but like yeah, other, yeah. other companies are like, as long as it doesn't affect your work, do whatever. I worked at a movie company and they're like, how can we help your side thing? You know, you're the podcast. So it's, um, it yeah. definitely depends on where you work and what their, their, um, personality is. So, um, you, you mentioned like, you know, clocking in and clocking out and hours you work. So uh, the majority of people now have been working from home. And, you know, during this pandemic and being in HR as well as career coaching, what changes or pivots have you seen made as a result of the pandemic and like how you coach people? Yeah, I've seen sort of two trends. One is people who feel stuck or who were feeling stuck and unhappy in their careers before the pandemic there are some people who, as a result of it, have really realized that life is short and fragile and there's a lot going on and we don't have time to waste working for corporations that don't support diversity and inclusion and equality, that don't respect you know, people who look like us mm-hmm. and aren't advocating for us. And so there's that that side who's like, I need to make a move. And even though it seems like the market is down and that people aren't hiring, like enough's enough. I'm not happy. I need to figure this out. So I actually, July was probably my busiest month. I had a lot of people reach out about resumes and LinkedIn and for career coaching. Um, Not complaining. It was great for business. Um, So that's one side. And then I've seen the complete opposite where there's people who now are even more fearful. So they might've been stuck and unhappy or, you know, they uh, 
we're thinking about it and the pandemic has them feeling like they can't make a move right now because the market is so uncertain. Um, and it all depends on where you are in your life and your career. So it is, to an extent, it's a form of privilege to be able to say, I, I can make this transition. Some people really can't do that. They have families, they have bills to pay. And so they sort of have to stick it out. Although I am of the mindset that you can be well paid for what you do and also really enjoy it. And it's just a matter of introspecting and really doing some analysis to figure out what that is. But I've seen those two schools of camp where some people are like, that's it. Now's it if now more than ever is the time to make a change. And other people who are more fearful of, of what's to happen because we're living in a really chaotic world right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's it's very um ever changing, I guess. You never know what's next and the what's gonna happen. But no, yeah, I was just like like on the HR side, like with your hiring and mm-hmm. development inside a company, like have you guys changed big policies there or you know, I'm not trying to find like inside information, but just just in general of like how you function and like if I'm looking for a job, you know, what should I expect? Like what can I adapt to to be more um marketable in the this new world in in hiring so there are some industries that do have hiring freezes there are some jobs that have been eliminated and some companies who have done tremendous downsizing so it depends of what what industry you're in it depends on what you do so the market for an engineer versus someone in finance and accounting versus someone in fashion versus someone in sales that's all going to look very different so the first thing is to really understand your industry and what your industry is going through as a result of the markets and the pandemic and everything going on. That will give you a better sense of, do I really do need to stick it out because there's less opportunities out there? Or, you know, is my industry a little bit more flexible, you know, more resistant to everything that's happening? I think there are um, companies, one positive thing, there are companies like the one that I work for that has been very conscious of not laying people off. And and when there are pockets that, you know, we do need to hire because the work needs to get done. So some companies have to put a hiring freeze because they're losing a lot of money and that's the easiest way for them to save. But other companies, they had open rules before and no one's doing those jobs. So they still have to hire for for somebody to be able to, you know, manage the expenses or um, or, you know, uh, if you're an engineer, if you're the one that's managing a project. So that's why I I am very careful and encourage people to be very careful of just believing the hype and the generalizations, because it's you can't there isn't one broad stroke generalization that you can make about what's happening across the board. So some industries are getting hit really heavily and some other ones are fine and some are thriving. Um, so if you think about technology and some of the the startup spaces, they're, they're thriving as a result of this. So it depends. Um, advice for people who are looking for opportunities, like I said, doing research, knowing your industry, and then going back to social capital, it's really all about your network, who you know, how you work that network. And even if you're, that's not to discourage people who think, I don't have a really big network, so how can I possibly make a transition? 
that's okay. You can work a network. You can create a network. You can connect with people. That's why we have great platforms like LinkedIn that make it really easy for you to do that, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. You know, we've been able to do that before the pandemic. So now that we are in the middle of a pandemic and everybody's home, it's easier to connect with people because they, they're less busy, uh, arguably. Mm-hmm. So it's really about understanding your industry, doing your research, brushing up that resume, shameless plug, but I think there's a lot of value in paying a professional to do your resume because as a resume writer, when you're doing it for yourself, you're so in the weeds into what you do that sometimes you forget the audience and what you're saying, how they're going to perceive that. So I think there's a lot of value in paying someone who has, especially who has industry knowledge or an an HR background because they know what the hiring managers and what the recruiters are looking for. Um, And then working your network because if you have really great connections, even if you work for an industry that is being hit or you're in a role that there might not be a lot of opportunities out there, you know the right people and you're bound to find that next role. No, definitely. Like I I was unemployed a little bit or out of work in 2018 and um, I did hire a resume consultant and she didn't know me like we knew each other like in elementary middle school so she didn't know like who I became or whatever but I, I, I like the fact that it was kind of like a third party like because you know your friends can like proofread and say oh I like this better I like that better but they're biased towards you so yeah. like having that third party it kind of or like you know the person that's not directly connected to you it gives another like it like a like a good clean view of it of how the hiring manager is going to view it and what they think. And of course, the HR experience like does come into play very much. So, you know, I, I do if you can afford it, and you you know, it is. Um, I do recommend that too. I, I've, I've recommended it to multiple friends, and you know, some take in, some they're like, ah, yeah, I could do it on my own. Yeah, yeah. But some of them are still out of work, so <laughs> it's like, you know, that what's the saying? Like, if you do the same thing expecting a different result, that's the definition of insanity. So. Yeah, I, I get that often when people tell me like, oh, I've been looking for a while and I haven't found anything. The first thing I ask is to see their resume and probably like 95% of the time their resume is not great. And that's the first thing. But the other part of it is how are you going about your job search strategy? So a lot of people will just Google whatever their title is mm-hmm. and see what companies are offering opportunities with that job title. And that's not that's not a strategy. That's just Googling a name <laughs> and, to, and trying to find what sticks. Um, and just cold applying to places just isn't the way people get hired. There's all of this research and statistics that show that the majority of people who find next opportunities is through their network, whether a first degree or a second degree connection or, you know, a referral of some kind. Yeah, definitely. Like usually the first thing I say is like get on LinkedIn and get on like the LinkedIn groups because um you know they 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 have people scouring and there's hr people like just on linkedin all day looking and they're doing groups and i say comment and be vocal just like people are doing on facebook and you know they're insta famous mm-hmm. you know it's the same thing you just gotta show that you have an expertise you might not be working permanently or at the moment but like show that you have that expertise through groups offering advice just being active like that and just getting your name out there because it's a it's a hustle to find a job especially when you're out of work it's a lot easier when you have a job and you're moving to another one but um it's definitely a a side another job but um 
no it's it's been great i just i'm trying to think of some like final spitfire questions i can ask you because uh, i know we, we both are i uh, want to be respectful of time i guess the first one's a little bit personal but so i work in finance and accounting and you have experience on the hr side of that but i've always felt the lack of um interpersonal like I'm, I'm a people person. I'm not like, I, I love spreadsheets. I love Excel. I can live in there, but you know, I do have that, that element where I, you know, I want to have more interaction with people and like, so what, like, I don't want to like give your whole format, but for people that are mid tier, mid tier, you know, mid-level career, and they want to make like a career change. What, like, do you take on those clients? Do you say like, good luck and <laughs> you're, you're one of those hard cases or like what what's your like what would be one advice that you can give them no I absolutely take those cases that's actually my specialty so I focus on people who feel stuck and who want to make a transition and it's either they are looking to make a transition like you where I still like the work that I do but maybe I want to work for a company that has a different culture where I can be involved in other things aside from my spreadsheets and, you know, my, my stat and gap analysis, right? Or people who are like, I've been in finance and accounting for over 10 years and I've realized spreadsheets no longer make me happy. I need to figure out what's next, but I have no idea. Or I have some idea, but I don't really know, you know, how to transfer these skills to something new. Or the third bucket is people who are like, I'm done with corporate America and I want to do, I've had these like creative ideas that have been pulling at me for a long time and I think I want to be an entrepreneur. So those are like the three kind of scenarios that I typically work with. I do one-to-one -one coaching with them and we always start with what is, where are you in your life right now? Let's get centered and really figure out what your priorities are, what your goals are, and what's going to make you happy because your career doesn't exist in a vacuum. So the way in which we go about this transition is going to depend on all of these other factors. So uh, most of my clients have been women, although I, like I said, this isn't, it's not gender-based. And so for some of my clients who, for example, I have one who is a working mom and has a one-year-old. And so the transition for her has to be very considerate of the fact that she is a working mom and will need a certain flexibility. The other client that I have is a mom of two and they're a little bit older, but the pandemic has showed her that she wants to spend more time with her and wants to have a lot more freedom. And so for her, it was more around, I want to just do this business that has been in the back of my mind for a long time. And so we start with getting centered on their goals and their priorities, because sometimes people have these ideas of what they want to do, but they don't consider those other factors that are going to be really instrumental and in whether or not they'll be successful in making that transition. And then I have a curriculum that I follow based on, depending on which move they're trying to make, whether it's internal, external, or entrepreneurship. And I, you know, we go through step-by-step -step actions of how to navigate the process of making a transition. Some of that includes like you do have to brush up on your resume and how your resume looks will depend on whether you're making an internal move, an external move. 
you know, learning how to use the LinkedIn pro platform properly. Most people, I think, have a profile, but either don't have it completed in a certain way that's going to bubble up their profile to the recruiters that are searching for talent on there, or they don't use it effectively to connect with other people. And so I do an analysis. It's really, I have like a framework that I use and, you know, a step-by-step -step actions that I go through, but it is customized depending on who the person is and where they are, which is why we always start with like level playing field. And then a lot of the work that I do is around mindset, because again, this first gen experience, what I think it does, especially if you grew up with immigrant parents, you know, they were, they were taught or their, their mindset is survival mode. Like they had to survive in a country that wasn't their own with, you know, arguably limited resources, not just financial, but maybe they had less family here or less of a, a community that was, you know, helping them. And so their, their mindset is survival mode. And if you grow up in that environment, you kind of have a tendency to think like that, except we have more access because we had the opportunity to earn a degree to work in these spaces, but that still creeps into our psychology. And so when I talk to people, it's always they think they can't do it for some reason. Either they don't have enough experiences or they don't have enough people in their network or they're scared of starting over. And it's this like limiting belief or all of these limiting beliefs that hold them back from pursuing something new. So I do a lot of work at the initial parts of our coaching sessions around mindset because most of it is, is just fear and it's, you know, things that we just need to over overcome and to shift because we tend to think of, of the worst case scenario. And I like to play that out with clients. So for anyone who has a limiting belief, like, oh, um, what if I fail? Okay, let's, let's think about that. Let's play that out. What if you fail? So what? You, you, you have failed before. Did you die? No. <laughs> you know, obviously you have to be strategic about the moves. You're not going to like quit your job tomorrow and not have another opportunity lined up. But if you you know, pivot to another company and you hate it, you can always make another change. Mm -hmm. If you, you know, transfer to another team internally and it doesn't work out, you still have 10 plus years of experiences that you can lean into and make a different transition. If you go and start a business and it fails, okay, it failed. You learn some great things. You can always go back to corporate America, but do you really want to live a life where you don't at least try? Like your one special life that you have, you want to be so fearful of making those bold moves that you stop from like living it to its max? I don't think so. I don't think that's not how I want to live my life, right? I don't, I don't recommend it to anybody. Like take the risk, take it calculated, be smart and strategic, but do it because you don't want to regret not having done so. And it's all about just shifting our mindset around that. Yeah, no, it's, it, it is like, I played that game before with, I forgot if it was a therapist or just a coach or whatever, but you know, what's the worst that can happen? Like, okay, this, okay, that happens. What happens next? Okay. All right. You're right. five steps in, like you're not, you're still living, you're still making choices and, and, um, yeah. I forgot which podcast I talked about it. Like, you know, I've, I've quit a job without having a job and it's a little bit liberating, but it also gave me the confidence of knowing, okay, I didn't die. I'm not on the streets begging. You know, I'm, you know, I've, 
we have, luckily we're privileged that we do have a college degree. We have experience and, you know, we have those, those, those to work in our favor. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's the perseverance to push through and, you know, we have that, you know, and we've, it's good to take risk, I think. Absolutely. We're a lot more resilient than we realize, especially if you are an immigrant or you're a child of an immigrant. Like, hello, you're, you come from a, a lineage of people who made these tremendous sacrifices and completely altered their lives to give you other opportunities. And you're scared about quitting a job? Come on. Like, yeah. when I, whenever I get in my own head and with my limiting beliefs, I think, I'm scared of launching this business. My mom left an entire country and came to one where she didn't know the language and didn't have anyone. Like there's nothing scarier than that. There's nothing that I'm going to, I don't think, right? Like I humble myself in that way. Like there's nothing I can possibly go through that's going to be as scary as leaving your entire existence with a child, a, a toddler to go pursue uh, opportunities in an unknown world like nothing there's nothing ever going to compare and that gives me a sense of like you know fearlessness it's like if she could do that what am I complaining about you know definitely like um my dad came from Cuba like he moved when he was nine but he moved to Chicago from Cuba to Chicago in February so I can not imagine coming from a tropical island and getting off the plane in like 20 or below weather, you know, the, the coldest month of the year. And then on my grandpa, on my mom's side, he came from Cuba and he was working three jobs to get things done. So, you know, they, they mm-hmm. hustle. We have that in, you know, use that energy and, you yep. know, we push forward and we do have it a lot easier. I can never say I had it harder than they did. Oh. Absolutely. So my older brother, who's 12 years older than me, when my mom and I came to this country, he was a a, a rebellious teenager and didn't want to come. So he stayed behind. And then he came in the 90s on a balsa. So he's a balsero. So he literally rode his way over here. So I think about my mother and I think about my brother. And again, it's like there is nothing that I could do that is... (laughs) ever going to compare and I you know I say that you know kind of jokingly but because our struggles are different you know the, the things that we're challenged with are completely different like they'll never understand some of the challenges that we face and having to navigate these spaces that weren't built for us to succeed in right like truly they, they weren't mm-hmm. um, so different struggles that's not to minimize the challenges that we do face but it's humbling to think yeah, but like you, they literally sacrificed their lives, like physically, you know, I'm, I'm not doing any of that. All of my stuff is mental and I need to have more grit and just push through. Definitely, definitely. Um, no, I just think about like one, one time my grandpa goes, I, I'm really proud of you. Like when you want something, you put your mind through it. And it was like the most touching moment because like he's gone through so much for him to approve of me you know i don't need it but like it it just makes it all the the better but yeah it's definitely more mental than physical and um it's more like just our our limiting beliefs and our own self that's all right um one last question or i have two but let's let's ask this one first what's your most touching career coaching story Ooh. Like with a client? Yeah, well, like somebody you helped like develop or that made you cry, made you feel all like gushy, like you still get chills, like how much you've helped them. 
Hmm. I have two clients now, the one that I mentioned before, and one pretty consistently in our sessions, like at the end, she'll say, oh, you know, I just love our time together. It feels like therapy uh, because she's in a place where, you know, she's being undervalued and underappreciated, even though she's a rock star. And so the thing about going back to mindset, sometimes when you're stuck and unhappy in your career, because a lot of these things are taboo and we don't talk about them enough, and we are all so self-critical that you might be thinking the problem is me. And, and they tell me these stories and I'm like, no, the problem isn't you, your manager sucks. Or no, the problem isn't you, you're at the wrong company. Like, no, actually what you're experiencing is imposter syndrome and many of us go through that. So, you know, I love that I studied behavioral science because I can bring things back to actually based on research and based on, you know, social psychology and all these different things, I can always frame it uh, to something bigger. So it's like, it's, it's not just an individual experience. We actually are experiencing this as a collective because of the way that society is structured and all these different things. So when I can break it down to them in that way, it validates what they're going through and it helps them think beyond the, oh, I'm the problem to let's focus on solutions. And so that client, I just always feel really great whenever we finish our sessions because I feel like, oh, this is what it's about. Like making somebody who's having like a tough week feel better in the middle of it, right? And the other one, um, this week actually, she had gone on vacation, came back, and she's at that pivotal moment where she's really thinking about launching or relaunching this business idea, something that she did a while ago and doing it again. And I guess the time away, the the fears and the limiting beliefs started to sneak in again. And she's like, what if I'm just thinking about this business because I'm so unhappy in what I'm doing? And then I was able to bring her back to like our conversations at the beginning and all of the things. And it's like, you've consistently said this. So I don't think that you are doing this just because it's a distraction from where you are. I think you're being pulled towards this. And these are the things that you have said to me. And it's like, you're so right. You know, and like she went, she she found something that was a journal entry and she's like, I wrote this four years ago. I was like, that doesn't sound very different than our conversation today. Like, so clearly there's a pattern here. You really want to do this. And then by the end of it, she was like so excited for our next session back on track. Like, yes, I really do want to do this. So those moments make me feel like, ah, I'm really making an in, a difference here and an impact on someone's lives and their future. Yeah, those are the things that kind of give you like the little bit of gas to keep on going the extra mm-hmm. mile because it, it really makes you, um, yeah, it gives you the joy and, and passion. But um, I, I always like to end a podcast with like one common thing and we've talked about it a little bit, but like, what's your mantra? Like, what's the beat? Like, what keeps the beat of your drum that keeps you going and, and um, keeps you growing and being ambitious? My favorite quote, which I actually have right above the ceiling over my bed is go confidently in the direction of your dreams, live the life you have imagined by Henry David Thoreau. And that's been my favorite quote for years. And it is my mantra. And like I said, I might not always be on target. Things aren't always perfect, but I think holistically, 
I have discovered what my purpose is mm-hmm. and I lead with that. And that gives me a lot of confidence. So the dream, whatever that dream is for you, once you realize what is the intention and what's the impact that you're trying to make. And it's usually something greater than ourselves. I mean, we all want to be happy and healthy and successful and make money. Those are very, you know, selfish things that we should want. And there's nothing wrong with being selfish in that way. But I think true purpose is when you can find something that gives you meaning, but is making a greater impact. So it's not just about you and how you're going to reap benefits, but how are you doing something to impact the next generation, to solve a big problem, to create something fantastic, to cure a disease, you know, whatever it is for you, I think being aligned to that purpose gives you the confidence to go and realize whatever it is that you want to accomplish in this lifetime and live the life you have imagined for me. And it's very much tied to my business model too. Again, life is short and it's fragile. And I think that we get these ideas and we all have an idea of the kind of life we want to live you know the experiences that we want to have the traditions we want to create the people we want to surround ourselves with the milestones we want to celebrate we have an idea and and some of that is socialized some of that you realize as you get older whatever it is though you you have that idea and so you have to try your very best to make that happen because what's the purpose of it, right? Like what's the purpose if you're just living monotonously, if you're just day in and day out doing things that aren't filling you up with a lot of what I like to call soul happiness, like you're happy deep down in your soul. I think you need to create a life that reflects whatever that means for you. Well, thank you so much, Angelis. Um, and it's been a great interview. I think we, we learned a lot and I think it's going to provide a lot of value. Um, if somebody wants to contact you or keep in touch or follow you, like what, how can they find you? Yeah. So please reach out through my Instagram at propel on purpose. You can check out my website, propel You can email me at coach at propel and the reason why Ozzy and I were first connected is because I have an interest in launching a podcast. And so I wanted to learn from him how he's been able to create this wonderful platform. Um, so stay tuned in a couple of weeks. Uh, my hope is that before the end of the year, I'll also be releasing my uh, podcast, which is going to be highlighting the stories of, you know, everyday people like us who work, lead and live on purpose. Definitely, definitely. And check that out when it comes out and um, follow her. Um, If you go onto her Instagram, there's a link and you can join her awesome newsletter that she does the pearls of purpose or pearls of power. Yes. Power, purpose, everything, all of the above. (laughs) But um, no, they're definitely informative, motivating. And um, I'm, I'm blessed to have you now as a friend and I'm glad that you had, I had you on my podcast. Well, thank you so much. And Anything um, I or Platform Latina can do to help in your journey, you know, let us know. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me, for having me, and giving me the opportunity to share my pearls with the Platform Latino. So cheers to you and adelante, everyone.
Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, hit subscribe and of course follow us on IG, Facebook, and all their social media platforms at Platform Latino. That's P L A T F O R M L A T I N O. Thanks again and have a wonderful and inspired day. Thank you.